Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, um, I don't know if you have kind of the same impression of things as I do, but it seems to me at least that more and more I find that they just don't make things like they used to, do they? Right? You know, like, there's just not the same quality, there's not the same durability, things just seem to break down faster, they don't seem to be as, as long, uh, long lifespan and what have you, they, just not the same, not the same bang for our buck that we used to get at one time. But I want to share something with you today that might be of encouragement. Because I ran into something today that is flying completely in the face of that. Literally. I came out this morning, out of the house, got in my truck, and what did I discover? A mosquito. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. It was a mosquito. I checked. It wasn't a moth. It was a mosquito. And he is alive and well, doing just fine, despite the cold. So apparently, they are making these things a little bit better. My, my hunch is this, that the steroids in the cows that are now in me are now also in the mosquitoes, and they're getting bigger and better as we go. You know, I just want you to know, I lie awake at night, and I think of ways that I can be of encouragement to you. And I thought this one just, was just fit the bill perfectly, so there you go. Okay, um, seriously, we are uh, continuing on, like Ryan said, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Titus, and this morning we're going to be looking specifically at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So far, what we've seen as we've come to the book of Titus, this letter from Paul to this young pastor, Paul has given Titus and ourselves then his plan. He's laid out this plan for us. Uh, and it's to establish good leaders and good teachers. And he, and he outlines that in the first nine verses of chapter 1. Then from verse 10 to verse 16 in chapter 1, Paul carries on and he tells us why that's the plan. He outlines for you and for me, if you will, what the problem is. And that, that basically amounts to the fact that there are many false teachers that are leading us astray, distracting us from the truth of the gospel. And that in light of that, then, we need those that can come out and lead well, teach well for Christ. This morning, as we come to chapter 2, we're going to begin to discover what Paul wants Titus and his leaders, and therefore then us, to be learning and teaching as we go forward. So if you'd turn with me in your Bibles, flip open your phones, um, check out the screen, 
chapter 2 of Titus, verses 1 to 10. Paul says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Before we keep going, let's pray one more time and ask God to come be with us as we hear from Him today. Father, this morning we come before You at this time in these moments, in these next minutes, and I pray that by Your Spirit that You would teach us. That through Paul to Titus, to each one of us now as Your followers, that we would hear from you, that you would give us insight and wisdom into how to conduct ourselves. And so to that end, God, I pray that your spirit would be at work, that we would receive this, that it would go beyond our minds and into our hearts and out through our actions into the world around us, that we would become even better and better and better again. Testimonies for you. And so, to that end, I pray all of these things by way of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for his sake alone. Amen. Okay, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to start, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time at the beginning on some things that are kind of foundational to this passage, if you will. And then, at the end, I want to wrap up with some overarching ideas and thoughts about the passage as a whole. In between, we'll quickly kind of run through some of the specific instructions that Titus lies out, or that Paul lies out for Titus. And we'll pick up a few things, um, but for the most part, what I'm going to ask is that you go home and just kind of study those things yourselves. And you can pick up and glean some things as you just approach that with God on your own. So that's kind of the outline. And we're going to have to move fairly quickly because it's a, it's a relatively in-depth section. So we're going to start off with chapter 2, verse 1. Some foundational aspects. Forgive me again, my throat is still dry as the Sahara. I think if I could just hack up that hairball, I'd be fine. But I can't seem to get rid of it. Alright. Chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, Paul says to Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So as we come to chapter 2, 
we recognize, we see that Paul's emphasis, his, his um, uh, um, attention has shifted away from the false teachers that he was talking about at the end of chapter 1. And is now, he's now focused on Titus. And he's addressing Titus specifically. And as Paul does that with Titus, then for you and I, we need to understand that Paul's now speaking into our lives as well. Not just Titus. But as we listen to Paul talk to Titus, that we need to hear for ourselves. However, this isn't only just a shift in Paul's attention. Okay? Paul is also making a distinction here. And for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, those of us that claim to have adopted and, and, and accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, put our trust and our faith in Him, then we need to understand that Paul is looking at us distinctly this morning, differently than he has been as he's talked about the false teachers and the others that are of concern to him in chapter 1. So as we come to this, Paul says, but as for you, Titus, and as I read it, I hear Paul say, but as for you, Doug, fill in your name there, as for you, Unlike these false teachers I was just talking about, you, Doug, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You, Brent, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You, Ashley, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Our point that we need to understand is that we are to be different. Paul is calling us to be different from the world around us. We're not to be the same. And in this verse then, we can see that Paul points out two ways, two means for us to be different from the world around us. Two ways by which we will be different. The first is sound doctrine. We'll be different from the world when we are sound in our doctrine. Secondly, we will be different from the world when we adhere to the practices that fit sound doctrine. So here again in Scripture, as with many other places, we find and we need to understand that our faith must rule not only in our heads, but also in our actions. Our beliefs have to translate from here outward as we live. You've heard me say before, and I didn't coin it, someone far smarter than I did, than I am, a lot earlier than I did, said this, the content of our beliefs is in our conduct. We can't forget that. John Stott puts it this way, there is an indissoluble connection between Christian doctrine and Christian duty, between theology and ethics. Which is to say that there is something that is indissolvable, that is unerasable between what we believe and how we act in our faith. We can't negate the both. They come as a whole together. They need to. 
We have a tendency, I think, to try and live in a dichotomy, don't we? We like to espouse things. We like to claim that we adhere to things in our minds and in our words. But when it comes to living them out, especially as they get challenging, then we tend to let them slide. I can claim it verbally, but to live it out, to practice it, becomes difficult. And I like to be able to be duplicitous in that. To let my actions slide. But Paul says here, no. No can do, Doug. Not acceptable. These things have to go together. And so then with this backdrop, that we are to stand out from the world around us by virtue of our doctrine, our beliefs, and our actions in how we live, then Paul begins to provide specific instructions to Timothy on what he is to teach. And therefore, this morning, what we need to learn and what we need to practice. Thankfully, Paul spells it out in a helpful plan. He doesn't just go all shotgun on us, and shoot from the hip, but rather he divides it out by gender and age in a helpful format that makes it that much easier for us to apply. So we're going to take a look through this and start and look at these specific instructions. As we do though, please don't look at this so completely categorically that you miss out on what Paul is saying to each of the categories. Because within each of the categories, and as we'll see, there are things that will apply to us all. One of the dangers in this passage is that we will categorize ourselves, we will put ourselves in a certain demographic spot, focus on that to the detriment of the other things around it. And in so doing, we'll miss a lot of what Paul is also speaking into our lives. So be careful as we go here, but let's pay attention because it's practical and wise the way that Paul has laid this out. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, Teach the older men, Titus, to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. So Paul lays out for us his goal for older men. Speaks into our lives and says, hey guys, this is your target. This is your objective. As guys, you are to become these type of men. The first three characteristics that he outlines speak to dignity. How we comport ourselves, how we operate day to day. The second three characteristics speak to a level of spiritual maturity. So let's look at them. Number one, Paul says, older, older guys, older men, be temperate, which is to say that we're to be sober both in our use of alcohol and in our thought. They go together. You can look at them both ways, but you need to look at them both ways. That is to say, not shallow or frivolous 
in how we conduct ourselves. Paul goes on to say, we're to live as to be worthy of respect. We have to live in such a way that as people look at us, as people see us, that we garner their respect. So, we need to be dignified in our actions and in our demeanor. Not dishonorable or indecent. Not lewd, crude, rude, or vulgar. Paul carries on. We're to be self-controlled, which speaks to being prudent and disciplined. And as if that weren't enough then, Paul continues, we also must be sound in faith. Now, as we come to these next three, it's easy for us to hear the first three and understand that that requires us then to adapt, to discipline ourselves, to apply things in our lives. As we come to these next three three things, so oftentimes we think that they're somehow going to happen organically. That one day I'll just wake up and be there. And so can I challenge you this morning that in order to be sound in the faith, sound in love, sound in endurance, we must also be as intentional in taking a course of action to accomplish this, as intentional as we would be in order to accomplish ourselves as temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. So, we need guys to be learning about our faith. We must be studying our doctrine Growing in our belief and understanding of God so that we would be sound in faith, solid in our trust of God, who He is, what He's done, and the fact that He is always working in our best interest. What's more, we're to be sound in love. That we would demonstrate love for one another. Not something that comes naturally to a lot of guys. But what Paul calls us to, what Scripture calls us to over and over, that we're to be walking demonstrations of love in our world. And then that, lastly, we should be sound in endurance which speaks to this idea where we have come to the point where we can endure, where we can suffer through hardship and persevere, not wavering in our commitment to God, not being challenged in our trust of Him, but confident in the midst of the junk of life, in in the midst of the times when we don't understand or see what God is up to, but nevertheless being confident that God is at work and that He is good and that He's got this under control and I can trust Him and therefore persevere on in my faith. Guys, there's an idea around 
so many of us adopt, where we tend to think that we have earned the right as we get older to become less dignified and patient. That in effect, that we can become grumpy old men. Where we can tell people what we think without care or concern as to how we say it, when we say it, and that somehow that we have earned that right, somehow out of making it this far. And therefore then, I can act with impunity, and everybody else has to accept it, because I'm a grouchy old codger. And Paul says, not so, dude. Give your head a shake, Doug. Doesn't cut it. Thank heavens, he turns now his attention to older women. And at this point, I recognize why Ryan was so concerned that I take the beginning of chapter two. <laughs> Set me up, that guy. Set me up. All right. Older women. Likewise. Likewise, notice, not that you dismiss everything that just was spoken out, spoken to in terms of the older guys, but likewise, Paul carries on, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they should live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women. Now, the picture here, of reverent in the way they live is a picture of a priestess working in the context of the temple. It's this idea, ladies, that as you go into your day, as you are working with your kids, with your families, with your co-workers, with your friends, with your neighbors, whoever it is, that you would be practicing and demonstrating the presence of God as you go. That as people see you, that they would see God. That they would understand Him through you and your actions. That you would live reverently and be a demonstration for Him to the world around you. Moreover, you're not to be slanderous, which we can understand as malicious gossips. And it's maybe not that big a step, because as the more caring gender, as the more empathetic gender, you lend yourselves to being concerned about others. But it's not a far step beyond that before we can find ourselves starting to pass judgment. Not just exhibiting care, but becoming gossips and judgmental in that conversation, in that concern. So Paul says, avoid that. He carries on. Not addicted to much wine. Thank heavens he brings this up. I have this concern about my mother. I'm just kidding. 
You know, like, I mean, I know I'm playing dangerously close to the line here. I'm talking right now about women. That's bad news for Doug. And then what's more, I took that on in the first service. I lived through it. She was here. <laughs> but I don't know. She might be camped out right now outside waiting. Okay, seriously though. The, 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 the point here is enslavement. And ladies... We are to be slaves to only one thing, and that is God alone. Don't compromise your slavery to God by indulging in something else that would make you a slave to it. Continue in that reverent way of life, loving Him, focused on Him. Don't dabble in anything that would distract you or or draw you away from that. Teaching what is good, Paul says. Which begs the question then, teaching who? Well, obviously, in the cases where it applies to your families, to your husbands, to your children, to those in your care. But also, notably, here Paul extends it to the younger women. Now, I find this fascinating, honestly, and I'm not sure 100% where Paul's going with this. But it would seem to be at least very good advice to Titus, who we don't know, seemed to be a bachelor, a young one at that. And so Paul says, hey ladies, help Titus out. Teach these younger women. Come alongside them. Because it's difficult for a guy to come into this setting and, and do that. Heaven only knows it would be difficult for me. Creepy old fart. Who's he speaking into my life, right? Like, I mean, that would be awkward. So ladies, come alongside those younger women. Teach them. Encourage them. And a note here too. As we're, as we're going along, Paul's talking about the older men. He's talking about the older women. He's talking about younger men. He's talking about younger women. It's kind of a sliding scale, isn't it? Somewhere in your world, there are those that are older than you. Somewhere in your world, those are younger than you. And as such, you can kind of begin to have a framework of how to approach them, how to work with them, what you're expecting from them. Oh, we've got to move. Whoa, that said 12.48. Boy, I thought I was really late. Um, all right. Paul carries on here from older women right into the younger women. He says... Then they can encourage the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, a lot of this is relatively straightforward. There's a couple things we'll stop on and pay maybe just a little bit more attention to. Number one, he says that they are to love their husbands and children. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Right? We should love our families. And again, love is a foundational aspect of our lives. God calls us to it in everything that we do. So here too for the young ladies. What's more, you're to be self-controlled and pure. And then Paul says, busy at home. And what's up with that? Well, this morning... As we come to that passage, we need to understand this first 
This cannot be, cannot be interpreted as women having to stay at home. Or the idea that they can't have a a career. That would not be sound doctrine. To come away with that understanding this morning. That would be bad doctrine. So don't go there. It's not saying that they can't have careers. That they can't be involved outside of the home. Rather, what he's saying is that if you decide to engage in the institution of marriage, if you decide to participate in that institution, then it can't be neglected. Even as you are pursuing other things in life, this has to be an, a, de- a deal for you. You have to keep it in mind. Be active participants in your home, with your husbands, with your families, and not shirk that responsibility. Paul carries on, you need to be kind, which may tip into this whole area of hospitable, open, entertaining to others. And then he says, subject to their husbands. And here's where it really gets dicey for the pastor. Okay, again, be bad doctrine for us to walk away today thinking that Paul's saying that women are inferior. That's garbage. That is not sound doctrine. That's false. There's no difference in value between the genders. Hear that today. Hear Paul on that today. So he's not speaking to inferiority here. He's talking about fealty. He's speaking to fealty. This idea of devotion to your husband and to your family. Young ladies are to be devoted to their husbands. And the picture here is again of marriage as modeled by the example of Christ in the church where men are to love their wisdom, their, men are to love their wives as Christ loves the church and where in turn Women are to be devoted to their husbands in the same way that the church is to be devoted to Christ alone. So it's a beautiful picture in the right context when understood properly. And Paul builds on that idea by saying, so that no one maligns God. When our relationships come together as husbands and wives in the right context, And when it's pursued the right way, then what happens is that God is not maligned by virtue of our actions. Instead, what we can understand, what we can know from this is that when when we pursue our relationships with one another well, then God is represented well. We become a better example to the world around us of who He is and what He's all about. But at the very same time, when we don't work together well, then God is maligned. His reputation is besmirched. Young men, chapter 2, verse 6, similarly, paying attention to what's been said before, but now specifically as well to you in this, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. 
I think Paul's a master communicator. Because he says so much and so little right here. Young men, you're to be self-controlled. Now self-control is not typically a definition that we would apply often to young men, is it? It wouldn't have been for me. Right? Even, even in when I'm trying to do the right thing, self-control was probably a distant thought in the background. We can be over the top. So Paul just lays it out there. Young men, be self-controlled. And from that, then we can walk away understanding that he's speaking categorically in everything. Be self-controlled in our speech, in our tempers, in our passions, in our relationships. You name it. We need to be self-controlled in it. And what's interesting here too, is that we have to recognize that in laying this out for us, Paul expects that not only can it be done, that it can be done, but that also we're going to get it done. So it's not appropriate for us this morning to use our youth as an excuse. Where we come along and we say, well, but I'm young. I'm impetuous. I'm passionate. It's awesome. Paul says, bring it in line. Be self-controlled. There's a lot there to work on. Speaking as a guy. Paul now turns to Titus directly. Verses 7 and 8. In everything, he says, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So Paul calls Titus out to be an example to the young men for sure. But even as we read the translation there, likely to all, to all of these different groups. An example to each one of them. In doing what is good. So we're to not only teach the word and do good that way, speaking to issues verbally, addressing them with sound doctrine, but also we are to lead by example. Living out our lives. Demonstrating how it is that we are to handle and conduct ourselves. Then, Paul continues on. And in these next respects, Paul addresses Titus in his capacity as a leader in the church. So take this under advisement as you go into different churches in life. As God leads you about uh, here, there, and everywhere. And also, but don't at the same time dismiss this because, again, we need to all weigh ourselves, measure ourselves through the metrics here as, as well. But Paul says to Titus, Dude, you, show integrity. Which is to say, Titus, you're to be uncorrupted in your motives. 
in your position as a leader. This can't be about you. You can't be in this for the money. No worries there. You can't be in this for the fame. Probably not there either. But if you are, that's a problem, dude. You can't use this platform for yourself to your own ends. What's more, conduct yourself seriously. Demonstrate seriousness in your manner in speaking. Hold yourself with a sense of gravitas befitting the truth, which is to say, don't be a goof. Conduct yourself in such a way as to when you speak then, people will sit up and listen. Be willing to accept what you have to say, not dismissing it out of hand as, oh, there goes Doug on one of his little jokes or goof-offs again. And always then with the soundness of speech, which is wholesome speech, edifying speech, full of truth. Full of truth. Building one another up. So all this then, all this then, so that our opposers have nothing bad to say against us. Now that doesn't mean that people aren't going to take shots at us. But that we're to give them no legitimate grounds for taking a shot. That they would have no legitimate complaint against us. And note here, Note the us at the end of that. Paul's not saying, hey dude, do this all in such a way as nobody takes a shot at you. Don't do this in such a way as that they have something against you. But rather, that they have nothing against us. Whereby we need to understand today, each one of us, that when we give cause for criticism in our lives, personally, the liability accrues against the whole, not just us individually. Which is to say that when I don't live well myself and somebody has a legitimate complaint against me in terms of how I conduct myself and my faith, then they don't just hold that against me. They hold that against you as a follower of Christ as well. They hold that against the church. They hold that against God Himself. Don't, don't miss this today. We are to live our lives every day. We see this all the time, don't we? Some Yahoo gets up on TV, some televangelist or whatever it is. And pretty soon, it's not just he that has a bad reputation, but you and me too. That's just the church for you. That's just Christians for you. That, I don't want anything to do with that God, if that's what it's all about. You and I, every day, every day, day in and day out, in all of our actions, represent God. When we do it well, we do it to His credit. But when we don't, we all take the hit. And it makes it that much more difficult for us 
to succeed in the mission that falls to us, that is before us. Quickly, verses 9 and 10 addresses slaves. Paul says this, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. As we come to this two-verse section, the first three attributes speak to the demeanor, their demeanor. They're to be obedient, trying to please them, which is to say, not just submissive, not just passive, but actually active in trying to please their masters. And then not disrespectful. The last two speak to their character, not pilfering from them. Therefore, honest. And then trustworthy and reliable as well. Now, we can best understand this in the context of our work environments today with our employees, with our employers. These are the character, characteristics that we should employ as employees, that we should exhibit as employees. That our co-workers would appreciate and enjoy us, our bosses as well that we would be honest and reliable. And again, in our day and age, we have this idea that they owe us. So I can take a little bit of this stuff home. I can cut a few corners here. I can punch that card late or early, whatever the case may be. Nope, Paul says. Nope. We have to conduct ourselves so that in every way, we will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. This is the third time in these verses, verses 5, 8, and 10, where Paul points out our impact on the gospel and God as to how we live. So as we consider this section of Scripture then, above and beyond the specific instructions, instructions that Paul speaks to each one of these groups, we need to keep in mind two overarching thoughts. The first, again, is that sound doctrine is paralleled, needs to be, must be, paralleled by sound living. And secondly, that in living or in failing to live in accordance with sound doctrine, we positively or negatively impact others for the sake of the gospel. Today we are positively or negatively impacting the gospel by virtue of how we are living. Therefore, this morning, we need to understand and go away knowing that it is important that we get our doctrine right. Which is to say, say we need to get into the Word. We need to spend time with God. We need to listen to Him. We need to have somebody speaking into our lives, helping us to grow in that. What's more, it is important that we live our lives in a way that matches that doctrine. When we do, as, as Paul points out in this, just this last little section of verse 10, 
The words that he uses as he articulates this thought speak to this idea that we become a showcase for God and what He has done for us. When we do this well, we set God off in the best possible light. The idea here is also of, 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 a, of a jewelry setting where it's designed in order to focus people's attention on the big diamond in the middle, if you will. When we do this well, we become a a showcase for God. That's what He's calling us to. So no matter our age then, no matter our gender, no matter our position in life, we are on mission for God in how we live day by day. We become the frame, if you will, that sets off this masterpiece painting of God our Savior and what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. That is the centerpiece of our lives. That is the mission that we are called to become. A showcase for that to the world around us so that others could have Him as the center of their lives too. This morning, that's what we celebrate in communion. This is the center of our lives. That God sent His Son for our salvation. The saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Where we were dead in our sin, but now can be alive in Christ. And that is our mission now. To present this. As we come this morning, we remember that. Father, again, as we come here to communion, we remember Your Son sent for us. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. His death in our place. His payment for us for sin as payment for something we could never accomplish on our own. Lord, we thank You for His resurrection, His triumph over death and sin, and for the salvation that comes as we place our faith in Him on account of that. Lord, I pray this morning as as we think about that in our lives, that that would become ever always the center, even more so that we would revolve around that orbit, always pointing to it, always living in light of it, and that you would help us to live better and better so that we could showcase it more and more to a hurting world. Lord, I pray this now in Jesus' name and for His sake alone. Amen.